Today, uh, we are down towards the bottom of the, the, uh, the creed here. In fact, I think we've got three more weeks after this one, and we will have worked our way all the way through. Um, and so today, we're in that line that you might see uh, kind of towards the bottom where it says, the Holy Catholic Church. We spent a couple of weeks on the Holy Spirit, and today we're going to talk about the Holy Catholic Church. And by the way, this is a part of that first statement where he says, I believe in the Holy Spirit and in the Holy Catholic Church and then all these other things that follow. And so this is one of those that whenever you're, if you've grown up like I did in Baptist churches and other Protestant denominations, if you come to this part of the creed, you think, oh, that one's not for me. I'm supposed to find some other creed over here that I'm supposed to read. Why? Because it says Catholic and I'm not Catholic. Right, And so it says Holy Catholic Church. But if you look at the text that we read, you'll notice that there are no capital letters in that statement. So we're going to start right there with what do we mean whenever we say Holy Catholic Church. All right. And so first, let's talk about the word holy. The word holy is a word that signifies being set apart. Something that has been taken out of the mix of everything else and set over here to the side. That is holy. And God is holy because of his purity, because of who he is, because he is completely without blemish. There is no shifting shadow. He is pure and light and and good. And everything about him is pure. He is completely set apart from the rest of the universe. All right? So God is holy. And whenever it says the holy Catholic church, it's saying that the church is some people, a group that God has taken and set apart for himself. All right? So the Holy Catholic Church means the church that has been set apart, first of all, for God's purposes. Catholic is a word that means pertaining to the whole. Right? It comes from two Greek words. Look, I even did a word search and it's got a little diagram here. But it says it comes from two Greek words, kata and holos, which means uh, pertaining to or like a group of, and holos meaning all. So it's the group that contains all. And so the word Catholic just means that it is the category of all the people who belong to the church. So the the Roman Catholic Church with the capital C, you know, that's pertaining to a particular denomination or a particular, uh, I guess you could say, flavor of Christianity. Um, But the word Catholic, lowercase c, just means pertaining to all that would be considered the church. And so it is the holy Catholic Church. It's holy because God has set it aside. It's Catholic because it includes all of us, not just Baptists or or Methodists or, or Catholics or whatever the case may be. It includes all of us. And when it says the word church, just so we're all clear on that, that's a group of people. It's the word ecclesia, and it just means a gathering of people. It is not a building. It is not an organization. It is a group of people. And in this particular case, it is a group of people that have been set aside as belonging to Christ, and it is all of us. And so just so that you're not taking my word for it, because I'm not anybody that you should ever just take my word for it, but I found this quote from a a Baptist theologian, Timothy George. He says it this way. When we say that we believe in the Holy Catholic Church, we are confessing that Jesus Christ himself is the church's one foundation, 
that all who truly trust in him as Savior and Lord are by God's grace members of his church and that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. All right, so this is what we believe this statement is really saying is the church as a whole, everyone who claims the name of Christ as their Savior and Lord, this is the group of people that we're talking about. All right, so now I want to kind of look at the scriptures where that comes from. And so our first scripture is in Matthew chapter 16, and we're going to be in verses 13 through 18. So it says this, Matthew 16, 13 through 18. I'm going to, I'm trying to decide, should I read the paper copy I have or read it off the screen? It's different today. All right, here we go. Matthew 16, 13 through 18. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he was asking his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Okay, so Jesus is talking to his disciples and he's telling them, listen, you've you've heard the chatter. You're listening to what's going on. You're, You're paying attention. What are people saying about me? Who do they think that I am? What do people say? And they say, well, you you kind of speak with this authority that we haven't heard in a long time. And so they kind of equate you to one of the prophets who used to speak of old, Isaiah or Elijah, one of those others. Or you might even be John the Baptist. Some people are confused. They think that you're like John's alter ego or something. So he goes on in the verse, uh, excuse me, I can't read which verse it is, 15. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. All right. What did Peter say there? He said, you are the Christ. Now, the word Christ is something that we just use as a a name for Jesus, right? It's like as a little kid, we might think that that's Jesus's last name, right? It's Jesus, Jesus, who? Jesus Christ, you know, but that's, that's not a last name. That's a title. And it, it's the word uh, for Messiah. And Messiah is a loaded word too, especially in the culture and the context in which Jesus and his disciples were living. The Messiah was the promised one. The one that God had said was coming and he was going to set everything right. He was going to take the hearts of stone out of men and give them a hearts of flesh. He was going to cause all kinds of new things to happen. The the laws would be written on their hearts so that they wouldn't have to work so hard, it seemed, to, to try to whip their bodies into shape to follow the law. It was going to be something new and transformational. They were expecting something great to come. They also thought that he was going to throw out the Romans and establish an earthly kingdom that was going to be, you know, it was going to grow to the uttermost parts of the earth and it was going to have the Lord as their king. And Simon says, it's you. You're the one. You're the one we have been waiting for. You're not just another prophet pointing us in the right direction. You're not just another great teacher. You're not just another anything. You're the one. What Peter was saying in that moment was he was saying, Jesus, you're everything we've been waiting for. And that's huge. And Jesus says, blessed are you because you didn't come up with that on your own. 
God revealed it to you. He goes on and he says to him, I'm doing things I shouldn't do. I think I'm tapping here and putting it on the screen for you guys. But he goes on and he says, uh, I also say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now, the, the name Peter is just a name to us, but it was a nickname that Jesus gave. So his name was Simon Barjona, and he was given this name Peter by Jesus. And it, it comes from the same word where we get like petros, petrified wood. Right? It was a word that just means stone or rock. And so he says, I'm going to call you rock because on that statement that you just made, that's going to be the foundation stone. That's going to be the pavement on which everything else is built. Jesus says, this, upon this rock, I will build my church. So when we talk about the Holy Catholic Church, we are talking about this church that Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. And what is it built on? It is built on the foundation that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one that the whole world has been waiting for. From the very fall of man in the Garden of Eden, God had promised there would be one who would come and crush the serpent. And Jesus was him. And our faith hinges completely on that. That is the bedrock of everything that we believe. And if anyone teaches anything contrary to Jesus being the sole hope for humanity, they're not of us. They're not a part of the Holy Catholic Church. The Holy Catholic Church is built on the bedrock that Jesus is the Messiah. That's first and foremost. And Jesus said that himself. It's that statement, that belief, that foundation on which everything else matters. So that's the first thing that we need to understand about the Holy Catholic Church is the foundation is Christ. The second thing is this. It includes a lot of people. In John chapter 10, Jesus is speaking with the Pharisees and the Pharisees are not really fond of Jesus and Jesus is not too afraid of them. And so he's willing to say things to them that are bold and audacious and and. For some people, they are just shocked that he would speak with that kind of authority to these people who wielded a lot of authority in their culture. And yet, Jesus was, was willing to say all kinds of things to them. And, and, and so he's talking to them about being a shepherd. In, in John chapter 10, verse 14, he says this, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, even as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I laid down my life for the sheep. And then he says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold and I must bring them also and they will hear my voice and they will become one flock with one shepherd. Now, what is Jesus talking about? He's talking about sheep and shepherds and I'm not a shepherd. I never have been. I don't even want to you know, deal with any kind of livestock. I, we don't even have a dog. But here, Jesus is talking to a culture where shepherds and sheep were kind of the norm. People knew what it was, and they, they understood these things. And what Jesus was saying to these, the, these people who were gathered, not just Pharisees, but also other people, is he was telling them, listen, I'm the good shepherd, I'm the leader, I'm the one who cares for the sheep. 
And he's pointing out the fact that these leaders, and he's riffing off of statements that were made by the prophets, he's riffing off the fact that these leaders were doing a bad job. They were taking advantage of the sheep rather than being good shepherds. They they were abusing their power, their role as the shepherd of the sheep to profit themselves at the expense of the sheep. And so Jesus is saying, I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one that you've been waiting for. I'm the one who's going to really care for your souls. And then he says, I have other sheep which are not of this fold. What he's talking about is this. He's saying, look, this is a Jewish context and we are talking to Jewish people, but I have other sheep who are not Jewish. There are other sheep who are outside this fold. I'm here and I'm among these people and I'm, I'm ministering here in this place and I'm, I'm reaching out to these people who are among this place, but this is just one fold. And there are many others outside of this fold. And Jesus was, was alluding to and pointing out that there are sheep from another fold who are all going to be part of this one family. It says they will become one flock with one shepherd. And see, Jesus, from the very beginning, His plan was not to save the Jewish people. His plan was to save the whole world. If you read even back in the Old Testament, whenever God was giving promises to Abraham about how He would be a blessing and He would bless the world through Abraham, He said He would bless every family in the world. Every people, every nation. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross was not just satisfactory for the people of Israel, but He was satisfactory for all of the world throughout all of history. Jesus' sacrifice was for us all. And I think sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we may understand that it's for us, but we forget that it's for others too. Sometimes we we acknowledge, oh, Jesus is for us because we are so good and we have done the right things and we have made the right choices and our country was founded on the right principles and therefore Jesus is for us. But for those other people, well, they have their own ways of thinking and Jesus isn't for them. And it's wrong. We can fall into the same trap that the Pharisees fell under. We can fall into the same pride that the Israelites fell under where they thought it's just for us, it's all about us, and I don't care about who you other people are. But that was never God's intention. From the very beginning until today, God's love goes to all men. No matter what faith they've grown up in, no matter what spiritual beliefs they might have or might not have, they are all precious to Him. Jesus' role as a shepherd is not just for a select few, but for the world. Anyone who would admit and claim Him as their Lord and Savior. Now, we have to be on guard. There are some people who look like sheep, who aren't sheep. And Jesus warned us about this in Matthew chapter 7. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 and 16, Jesus is finishing up the Sermon on the Mount. And as He's been preaching to them all these kinds of truths, and it's it's these, these new things that they've heard where He said to them, well, you've heard it said, but I say to you. You've heard it said, but I say to you. 
And he's, he's kind of taking the law and he's actually making it more personal and more strict in some ways. You've heard it said not to commit adultery. I say if you've ever looked on a woman with lust, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. And he says, you've heard it said that you shouldn't commit murder, but I say to you, if you've ever hated your brother or said, you fool, you've committed murder in your heart. And so Jesus is saying, there are some new things that I'm presenting to you, but listen, there are going to be other people who have some other new things to say, and we need to beware of them. In Matthew 7, verses 15 and 16, he says, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor figs from thistles, are they? He says, listen, there are going to be some people who they look like sheep. They're dressed up like sheep. They, they even talk kind of like sheep do. They know these things. They, they've heard them. And they, they profess these, these truths as if they, they're among us and they're one of us, but they have some little twist. And you need to be on guard and you need to watch out for them. Because if they bring new teaching, if they bring something outside of what Jesus taught... Jesus refers to them as ravenous wolves who are after us, who want to take advantage of us. In 2 John, John actually writes this in his letter there. 2 John, it's only one chapter, but it's verses 7 through 11. He says this to the, the churches in that day. He says, for many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves that you may receive a full, excuse me, that you do not lose what we have accomplished, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. The one who abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him a greeting. For the one who gives him a greeting participates in his evil deeds. John is warning them, listen, there are people who are going to come and they have figured out some arguments and they've, they've played out some logic with groups of people and they are going to lead you to believe different things, different truths. And you need to be on your guard. Just like Jesus told his disciples, you need to watch out because there are people who will look like sheep, but they're really wolves in disguise. And listen, if it was true in the earliest form of the church, it is definitely true today. This is probably the, the responsibility as a pastor that I take most seriously that weighs on my heart most heavily is being careful and being on guard against false teaching. We have to be aware that there are people out there who are taking advantage of the teachings of the Scriptures, where they will take a teaching, they will take a, a, a verse of Scripture, and they will twist it or they will go beyond the context of where that verse shows up in the teaching of the Scripture, and they will lead people into believing all kinds of things. And it can be detrimental. It, it, it can be devastating for some people. And there are a lot of people today who are falling for all kinds of, of heresies and lies because they don't know the Word of God themselves. And when someone comes in and they're using the Scriptures, they can't tell if they're misusing it in the process. 
So let me encourage you if, you, if you hear something that seems unusual to you, if you hear something that sounds new to you, you need to get together with fellow believers that you trust and love and make sure that that teaching is sound with the Scriptures. You know, come to me and let's talk about it. Let's look at the Scriptures because that's where I'm going to go. If you come to me and you say, well, I've heard it said that, and you fill in the blank with all kinds of wild theories that are out there, then I'm going to say, well, let's look at what the Scripture says because that's our authority. That's our only authority. And we have to be so careful that we're paying attention to these things and we're testing these things because there are people who look like sheep but they're not a part of the Holy Catholic Church because they don't really serve the Lord. They may use His name. Jesus actually said later on in that same passage, there will be many who say to me, Lord, Lord. And they'll say, didn't I do this in your name? And didn't I do that in your name? And He'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Jesus acknowledged there will be people who try to capitalize on my name for their own good. And there are people today who want your money, who want your vote, who want your your mind as as a means of exchange so that they can profit from it. And you need to be on guard. Don't take everything that you hear on TV just because it sounds like it's something good. Don't take every statement that you read on Facebook as if it just, oh, that sounds good. That sounds like Scripture. It sounds like something I want to hear. Be on guard. There are people who look and sound like they're part of the church, but they are not. And they're after something. So let's be vigilant together. And let's work together to make sure now, that being said, I don't, I don't feel called to be antagonistic about things like that. So you'll find that there are people that will take those teachings and they will, they will just spend a lot of time tearing it apart as if to by tearing down this person who's spouting some false teaching over here that somehow that makes them more right. The buzz is back today. It didn't show up in the audio last week, so we'll just go with it. Um, We've got to get something done around here. (laughs) Technology. All right. So listen, I I don't want to spend a whole lot of time pointing out where other people have gone wrong, and I don't like naming names and, and calling people out. What I want to do is I want to take a brother of mine who might be saying something wrong and and take him aside and say, how are you getting there from the Scriptures? Because this is what I see. And I think that that's really the biblical approach is if we see something that is false or something that someone is is espousing as true, we should take them aside and lovingly say, I don't think you're right on this. Can we look at the scriptures together and let's see what the word of God says in this regard? Because the reality is we are one church. One body of believers. I'm not going to sit here and tear down one denomination to prop up another denomination. I don't think that that adds value to the church. What we really need to do is we need to say, what does the Word say that we should do? And let's get to to work doing it. Because we're not in competition with each other. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. So, 
In Romans chapter 12, I thought of this passage of Scripture as I was preparing this and rounding this out. As we think about being a part of the holy Catholic Church, one flock with one shepherd, when we think about it, this passage comes to mind. He says, For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Now listen, I would love to make this into a pill that we could administer to everyone around the world right now. Everyone ought not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. I think we need a lot of humility in our world today. We need to be careful about taking such dogmatic, prideful stands. We need to recognize, who am I? He goes on. He says, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members one of another. Since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise them accordingly. If prophecy, according to the proportion of his faith. If service, in his serving. Or he who teaches, in his teaching. Or he who exhorts, in his exhortation. He who gives with liberality. He who leads with diligence. And he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. What this passage of Scripture is saying, look, each of us has a gift. Each of us has a calling in our life. And we should strive to do everything we can do for the Lord. It doesn't say, I want you to look at everyone else and what gifts they have and tell them to go and do those gifts. It says each of us has it and we should exercise it ourselves for the glory of God. Not worried about what other people are doing. Not not pointing to other people and saying, well, they're not. They should do it. They could do it better than I could. It's not a competition. It's service to our Lord and King. And what I look at is, I look at this passage of Scripture and I see that we are all part of the body and we all have a function, a role to play. Let me put it this way. There was a point in time whenever my brother went to China to live for a time. And as he was there, he was able to minister and to teach people about the gospel. And man, it was awesome to hear about I loved the stories. I loved the idea of learning the culture and learning the language there. I thought, man, that would be really awesome. I really want to go and do that. I really wish it was me that was going to China and not my brother. I wanted to go and and be on the mission field to experience that firsthand for myself. And it didn't take very long for the Lord to kind of correct me. And he says, listen, I've got work for you to do here. That's the work I have for him to do there. Don't be jealous of what other people get to do. You're not in competition. There's plenty of work to be done. Don't worry about what other people are called to do. Do what you've been called to do. Because the body, in order to function the way that it ought to function, needs all of us to do our part. So sometimes... We look at, at church life and church planting, and I, I remember them in, in some of the training. They're like, well, you got to make sure you got somebody to do this and somebody to do this and somebody to do this and somebody to do that. And it's like, 
Well, I guess I'll do two of those and Richard will do the other two because there's, that's it. That's all we had at the time, <laughs> right? I mean, there just wasn't much of us around to do all those things. And the reality is that mentality was about in order to be in competition, really, with other churches, in order to compete in the, with the services that other churches are providing, you also need to provide these services. And I realized that that's not what God has called us to do. Now, if God wants us to reach this group of people, then guess what? He's going to provide us someone who will meet those needs. If God calls us to reach this group of people, he's going to provide us someone to do exactly that. And let me just say this little plug. If you see some gap in our church, say, we're not doing anything for... That's God telling you, it's you. (laughs) You're the person. The reason you have that burden on your heart is because God gave you that burden. And he wants you to step up and make it happen. And we will rejoice in your coming. And we will support you every way that we can. And we will get behind you as the body of Christ to see that come to pass. Because we can't do everything. I'm not, I'm not, I do a lot of things, but I'm not able to do everything. And and it takes all of us. If there's something you see as a need, Let me just encourage you to recognize that may be exactly God identifying for you where you need to plug in. And I believe that God planted us here because this community needed this church. And God has brought you into this place because you bring something to the table that we need in order to reach out. We can't worry about what other churches are doing. We can't worry about what you know, the missionaries get to do and, and as if we're somehow lesser to them or, or not as involved as they are. We need to recognize that we have a function right here that God has called us to. We're not in competition. As we are the holy Catholic church, what that means is we are a part of one body in Christ. And as long as we are faithful to Him, and following Him where He leads us, then God will receive the glory that He's worthy of. Let's pray. God, I thank You that You have established the church in Your name for Your glory. Father, thank You that it is not our call to build the church. Jesus, You said, I will build my church. So God, I pray that we would recognize what you have called us to do as individuals and that you will show us how to join in with our brothers and sisters of our local congregation to accomplish the work you've called us to. God, I thank you for the people who call Good Hope Family Fellowship their church home. Thank you for the heart of service that I see in all of them. 
for the love and the compassion that I feel in this place that others have testified to me that they feel whenever they come through the doors. Father, I pray that we would take that spirit of unity that's among us and we would be everything you're calling us to be. Father, glorify yourself in this place for your namesake and for your glory. Let us be a part of the Holy Catholic Church, but an important part in this place where you have called us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, let me just encourage you to respond to the Lord as as He leads you. We are all part of one body in Christ. What's God leading you to do? Now listen, some of you have found your place and I appreciate you 100%. And I'm so glad that you're serving the way that you're serving. I know that there are some things we don't get to do. We haven't had children's Sunday school in a long time. We haven't been able to prepare the communion like we used to. And all those kinds of things, we're just trying to figure out what's next. But I believe that there's still more that can be done. We've just got to adapt to whatever we have in front of us. So let me just encourage you. What is it that God's calling you to do? You are a part of the body. You're one of the sheep of His fold. What's He leading you to? Follow Him. And see what He's up to. Because God is not hindered by COVID-19. God's not held back by any restriction whatsoever. The church existed in individual homes long before it ever started building structures of its own. And we can still be the church. We just have to learn a new way of doing things. And we have to find ways to incorporate some of the old. If you have ideas, I'm all ears. If there's something that God's calling you to and you say, I can't do this alone, that's why he gave you us. So that we could help you get it done. That's what being part of the body is all about. You respond to the Lord as he leads you and Keetron leads us in song.